Hello and welcome back to the Biteside Podcast. I'm Seamus Byrne. This is a show where we discuss the future of tech, media and digital culture. Now, Biteside has actually worked with IBM on a few deep dive features and podcast discussions over the years. And this year, IBM has again sponsored the show for a discussion on the topic of digital trust. Now, We've actually had this in the works for a good few months, but with the recent state of security breaches at major Australian organisations, it seems like there really was no better time than now to be discussing it. So joining me today is Chris Hockings. He's the Chief Technology Officer at IBM Security Asia Pacific to discuss the importance of security and trust in digital society and what businesses need to do to meet the expectations of their customers. Chris, thank you so much for joining us on Biteside. Thanks for having me, Seamus. Looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, so look, let's start with the big picture. You know, what is your take on the state of digital trust today? Yeah, like you say, I mean, if you'd asked the question a few weeks ago, you might have got a different response. But, you know, I, I guess with all of the different breaches that have been happening in different forms, I think people have become much more aware of cybersecurity and, you know, whether organizations are delivering to their expectations. I mean, I think, you know, in the past, it was an expectation and their digital trust was probably, there's probably a false sense of security in many ways in sharing and engaging with organisations. But yeah, right now, I think if you measured it across uh, Australia, at least, you'd have to say that it was quite low. And I, I think when I talk to people who know of me as a cybersecurity expert, the conversations have definitely changed where they've, they're somewhat bewildered by the way their information has become available and, you know, it's, I guess their, their expectations haven't been met and it's difficult to explain to them uh, why that's the case. I think there's a really kind of complex situation here, isn't there? Because it's like our personal and our professional connections, they've been, become more digital than ever over the past few years. You know, I kind of wonder your, your sense of how digital helps or hinders that sense of trust in both, you know, people and businesses. I think it depends on the individual somewhat. I mean, access to social media and your ability to get your your message out and share your point of view has obviously become a much more widespread and available capability that many people leverage. And that really allows you to deliver intimacy and your point of view amongst a much broader population. But, you know, on the flip side, um, you know, and so that that delivers a different type of trust for those people who may get the trust in a smaller circle and group. Yeah. But you know, I think if you if you look at you know the the flip side of that, most people who are not digital native are probably struggling with the inverse. They've got a lot of trust in you know their interpersonal relationships with the community around them, and they're now somewhat exposed to a set of individuals and capabilities in that social sense that that has been somewhat foreign. And I think the consequence of that is that. You know, the awareness of things like fraud is really starting to bite as they realise that, you know, individuals can be contacted from anywhere by anyone who may not have the same level of trust they've established with their own community. Yeah. And look, I mean, clearly there is this, there's this human sense of trust and now it really has become more and more dependent on that technical, I guess, idea of trust that people like yourself and you know, businesses need to make sure they're getting right to, to meet that human's expectation. You know, what is it about the technologies right now that we need to get right to make that trust, I guess, a little more seamless for people? I think it's still a very much a cultural thing. I mean, organisations throughout decades, I mean, IBM over 120 years old has always had you know, this uh, trust and transparency pieces, you know, at its core. And 
that comes through the things that we build and how we approach certain problems. And so I think that open and transparent approach to, you know, how people use data in particular with the recent issues and, you know, how how you can build. So, so data security is obviously going to be a big part of the conversation moving forward, at least in Australia, and aligning that with, our, with global norms. But I think that the way that you build trust is to engage your individuals with strong protection mechanisms where required. You know, we used to talk a lot about frictionless, but in, in a lot of cases, friction is necessary in order to keep people aware that it's up to them to choose what they accept and what they don't. There's an enormous amount of you know, innovation in the multi-factor authentication space, which, which people will see as part of browsers, yeah. um, which will help to mitigate fraud. So the adoption of strong protection mechanisms in an open and transparent way as to how organizations are using the data. But also then I think the fundamentals, it still goes back to is, I think cyber is now joining some of the other elements where you deliver, you, you build trust and cyber really is about three things. It's that and depending on the organization you're dealing with, it's they're available when you need them. And when, when you give them data, they treat it with confidentiality and only least a privilege um, share with the right people. And the third one is if you give them data that can't, they shouldn't be changed, it should never be changed. We call that integrity. So I think cyber is becoming part of that trust equation that individuals will now be using to decide where they place their money in adopting the critical infrastructure services, uh, telcos, transport, et cetera. This one's slightly without notice on the list, but um, it feels like people in general have kind of come to to know that, you know, there's no such thing as perfect security, but perhaps, you know, some of why people have been upset by the things that have happened is is the way a company has dealt with it when it's gone wrong. You know, how important is it for a business to make sure that part of that same security question is being able to respond to a crisis in the right way? It's Well, it's critical. I mean, we always, we've been for years in cyber talking about the preparation for the boom event and then the response after it. Um, like any any event, emergency event, we're used to doing this with fire, critical life affecting circumstances at certain at organizations or, or wherever. But now it's really how well you respond to the questions that you get. And that really is a reflection of your preparedness in being able to have the right information available at the right time yeah. and to share it in the way that you know yeah. keeps people informed. So left of the boom in preparation, but then the execution of the plan um, when an incident occurs is, is, is critical to the cost of these breaches that organisations are now facing. Do you think that's then you know, leads into the question of, I guess, how you win the trust back after the fact if things have gone wrong, that, that you, you know, demonstrate, I guess, the, the right kind of follow-up and the right level of transparency afterwards? Absolutely. I think organisations who engage openly and admit that something went wrong and then actually share what went wrong and how they've learned have shown, you know, they can recover that cost in time. You know, I think any circumstance that leads to damage, the last thing you want to be doing is covering up details that need to be shared with those people that are affected. Now, you know, it can be, I guess, a bit of a, a pragmatic, tricky balancing act when it comes to, you know, as a business, wanting to make sure you're adhering to the highest levels of security, that your staff are all kind of trained in the right way. But then you always have that situation of, as you mentioned, the kind of friction question earlier. You know, how do you feel like businesses need to do better at, at getting that balance right in the way they're managing their security? I've seen some really good examples over the years, which were fairly thought they were leading in the way that they were approaching this with employees by helping them with their 
their security mindset at home. And, and that then translates into the workplace. So, you know, this term zero trust, which we're hearing a lot about, really establishes, I guess, a situational awareness for an activity such that, you know, if something happens or is about to happen and it looks suspicious, you should either act or fail to act depending on the decision you're about to make. And that can have consequences, right? And I think if organizations take the mindset of making it real for individuals, uh, you know, that this stuff we're teaching you or the training we're giving you doesn't just apply for the protection of your employer, but there's a lot of concepts you can take home and make sure that your systems at home don't fall for for malware, that your, you know, your social media accounts are not breached. There's a lot of, you know, applying the protection, the situational awareness and the breach response um, concepts that transcend both home life, but also enterprise. I mean, if you can make it real for people, I think that's a really, really great way of reducing friction, but making them aware that, you know, we're kind of all in this together. I guess that's something we haven't sort of touched on is that transition within business to be hybrid has clearly you know, created this whole new attack surface. But for big businesses, that might be sort of something that they, well, I mean, I'm literally saying they should be doing better, but <laughs> they're not necessarily. Uh, but, you know, how do I guess, you know, we really try to you know, get that balance right? Well, how have you seen businesses trying to, you know, adapt to the changes that were kind of thrust upon everybody? Uh, as you say, zero trust, clearly one of the, you know, the great paths towards it, but uh, it's it's not that easy to, to, I guess, instantly kind of flick the switch on this sort of stuff. No, but I think in the transformation journey, and I'm sure your podcast, you've talked a lot about digital transformation. I, you know, I think there's a lot to learn from organizations who've been on that journey to consume cloud content, whether it's infrastructure platform or, or SaaS. And I think the, the lesson in all of this is that, you know, the security team would, would typically be behaving in a monolithic and compliance-oriented mindset. And the best organizations are starting to incorporate the security team into the, the build and, and development of the applications for the, in the consumption of the cloud capabilities. And then, you know, that really then translates into empowering them to build out, you know, better security systems. And there's a lot of platforms and, you know, we build, we, we build platform-oriented services for our clients that help them securely consume and then detect anomalous activity at scale across these hybrid multi-cloud environments. So it's really that mindset shift and it can work on the flip side, right? The digital native folks coming into the security team and, and you're just breaking through with some of the concepts of cloud that has really delivered the operational efficiency, scale and speed across our enterprise workloads. Mm. No, it's a good point. Now, I guess when it comes to that question of friction around security, do you see a path where that's going to be reduced at all in coming years? Obviously, you know, some of the phone companies like the smartphone builders talking about pass keys potentially coming to smartphones. Is that more like consumer oriented or is that something that will feed into business as well? I think a standards-based approach transcends personal and private. So, you know, IBM, you know, even here in Australia in the Gold Coast Research and Development Lab, which I'm kind of from, are building some of those integrations with pass keys, which are standards based, which means that widespread adoption occurs. So definitely a lot happening in building security solutions, which will stop those fraudulent events in our, in our authentication solutions from, from rearing their head. But I think on the flip side, on the enterprise side, we don't talk a lot about friction as much from a threat detection and hunting perspective. But the advances there really in the, in the form of analytics and, you know, what people would term AI, but basically the ability to detect anomalous activities 
closer to where you know the, the attacker first breaches the systems, is going to start to introduce a lot less friction you know, inside of the construct of those detection response systems, which will then, you know, speed them up and make them more effective. So finding the attackers and cutting them off before they cause the impact, you know, will actually improve the circumstances for our security operations staff. And, you know, as I mentioned before, some of the monolithic practices they're stuck with, I see a time where we're going to be able to loosen that up and build a much more flexible and open threat management type posture inside of enterprises as well. I remember the first time I had a chat with the team over at YubiKey and you know, heard about some of the, the stats that make a big difference there when you just have that kind of you know physical two-factor authentication available. That's when I added one to my key ring because I suddenly went, okay, wow, if it works that well, it sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I've got one plugged into my, la- my Mac here. I've got the Mac, you know, the FIDO integration for the Mac. I've got my IBM Verify app that I can so you need You need options, but yeah, YubiKey with the implementation of the FIDO standards, you know, on our server side being IBM Verify for our clients to consume, you know, all of those advances in innovation really make a difference for us individuals if we adopt them at scale. What do you think the outlook is? Has this just been a bit of a, you know, a, the confluence of, you know, unlucky Australian businesses in a moment when the whole world is getting attacked pretty much at the same time? Do you think it gets worse before it gets better or, you know, are, are things heading on a, on a good path at the moment? Well, I'm always a, a glass half full kind of guy. So I've always had a lot of optimism that, you know, we got, we've got what we need in order to move faster and uh, provide better protection. But I think these events, you know, early in the year, last year, you know, there was massive ransomware attacks which caused the US government to act on zero trust. This is probably our moment in Australia, uh, and you, you're seeing a lot of new momentum around regulatory, you know, protection through the data security, or the, you know, people are talking about privacy, privacy act, etc. So I think that moment is probably going to be captured, and it's going to drive a whole lot of uplift, which is necessary in order for us to, you know, keep up with, you know, our allies and what's expected of our, you know, of your customers as well. Yeah. Um, do you think companies out there are asking the right questions at the moment, whether it's of themselves or of their you know, suppliers in this space? I think the questions are coming because of some of the critical infrastructure build changes. You know, I think the supply chain risks of last year that were, that were prevalent last year has made organisations aware that you know, the software supply chain is something that they need to keep across and make sure that their suppliers are secure as well. You know, so, so I think the answer to that is they're asking the right questions. I think they're on the flip side, now, um, what we're seeing in the global standards area, and you mentioned YubiKey and FIDO in authentication, we're seeing, and IBM's investing a lot of time and energy into building open approaches to the description of and sharing of a software supply chain so that analytics of your supply chain can be done automatically, right? So the question and answers are often seen as cumbersome and difficult and have to be translated, but I think you'll see a future where codifying software and supply chain will become just a normal thing that organizations will do so they can assess their risks and threats. Because let's face it, every day, you know, there's new threats, whether they're from, you know, our nation states or adversaries, and there's also vulnerabilities. I mean, on the we, building and delivering software free of defects is difficult, right? So it's the intersection of those two where we, we need to make um, advances. And I often talk to organizations and let them know that, Regardless of who it is or what it is that might have an interest in your organizations, the one thing you can do is make sure that you're secure. 
Yeah, that's great. Now, you always like to leave people with something to take away and, and chew over in their own time after they've had a listen. Yeah, what advice would you have for businesses out there that are looking to, to step up what they're doing in digital security? I think the first thing is, you know, your customers are always number one, right? So I think that that whole mobile and web channel and providing not just the protection mechanisms, but the fraud detection systems that have been available uh, and are still available. I think the next thing is then connecting that to a data security program where you know what data you collected for what purpose, um, whether you're keeping it or not and for what reason, and giving empowering the users to then make the choice as to whether you should still have that information. If they don't want you to have it, give them the option for you to, to remove it, right? So that's a piece of advice that I would both give but also tell organisations that it's coming nonetheless. Brilliant. Look, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on Byteside. Thank you, Seamus. 